If you're listening to this, you rule. You're a member. You're a supporter. You give us your money. You're what keeps us going. And it gives you access to all this great bonus content. We've got two bonus episodes. Perhaps you've already listened to Raising Captivity. Perhaps you're listening to this one first, and you're going to listen to Raising Captivity next. But regardless, the fact that you are hearing this now means you are just a great person. I know it. I don't know you, but I know you're awesome. Um, And we're going to reward you with a pilot written by Andy Richter. This is The Fall of Chuck. Uh, Let's see. Who's our cast? Busy Phillips. Maybe you guys have heard of Busy Phillips. Uh, Maybe Paul F. Tompkins. Maybe Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall. Uh, Joshua Molina from Scandal. Mark McConville, Matt Gorley, Tawny Newsom. I mean, so much talent in this fantastic cast. Uh, I believe, actually, this was written by Andy Richter and Eric Zicklin. Uh, I don't want to leave Eric out. Uh, we did this a while back at SF Sketchfest. I'm going to be honest, the sound quality, not our best, but you'll get the idea. Um, and you'll get to experience Andy reading his own words. Uh so funny Andy Richter and our great cast in the fall of Chuck thank you guys so much for being supporters I hope you enjoy this and Raised in Captivity and all the other great bonus content on Max Fun enjoy Andy Richter hi a script that you co-wrote I co-wrote with my friend Eric Ziklin who I've known for many many years and um, I was uh, I think I wrote this after the the show Quintuplets had been canceled, um, which because that has been my pattern. That was my pattern after leaving the initial late night show was to try to get a sh- if I got a show. And I mean these are all this is all embarrassment of riches, but uh, have a show, have it canceled, write a show for myself, have no one like it. Get on another show, have it canceled, write a show for myself, have no one like it, get on another show. Uh, so that was, it was kind of one of those. So, yeah. So I wrote this with Eric um, for NBC at the time. Kevin Riley uh, was running NBC and he's now running TBS, so the world is really fucking small. Um, what, what was the uh, inspiration for the show and what was the pitch like? Getting a show on TV and making money off of that. That was the real inspiration for it. Um, no, it was, uh, I, you know, I, I honestly, it's been, it's been since 2004, so that's, that's light years uh, with all the, the, the medication. Um, so I, 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 I've always enjoyed, uh, with an inspiration, like uh, Chris Elliott, one thing that I've always loved about him is being the high-status idiot. Like the guy that thinks he is God's gift to everyone, but he's really just a fucking moron. And everyone thinks he's just a fool. And you know, So I've always kind of loved that dynamic. And I thought that this... I don't, I don't remember any particular inspiration for this other than Rich Fuck-Up um, and, and kind of Baby Man, you know. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, there's a prescience to it, too, now, I guess, because I guess you could say it's kind of Trump-like, uh, in a way, but actually, this person in this script is, while unpleasant, is far more likable than, 
more likable and kind of harmless and uh, and really truly just someone. I've also always been uh, fascinated by people who are absolutely broken and misshapen by too much money. Uh, people that are raised and, and have too much money all the time and how ill-equipped they are for just being upright uh, out of that. So it was kind of just that kind of and, and nothing, you know, we weren't trying to change the world, we are just trying to write a funny script with funny characters and something that would have some potential for growth and, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a great character and I think it's filled with great characters. Oh, thank you, thank People you. People really would have enjoyed uh, and a great engine for comedy. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I hadn't read it in, I mean, really probably 10 years when you asked me about it. And then I was like, oh yeah, that one. Let's see. If, let, let's let's revisit that. So um, this was written as a as a multi-camera live audience show, or was this written to be a single camera? Uh, it it was written with the possibility of both with a preference towards a single camera, just so that we could you know to use locations and make it more cinematic. And that's also the way I prefer I prefer to work without a studio audience uh, because you get to control the timing so much better with a studio audience. You have to stop for laughter, so you don't get to choose. You want these people to leave? But no, 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 no. I, don't, I, I mean, no. I, I mean, this is this is a different thing. But I mean, that's I for it's just it's my preference because it really is in within within a sitcom, a, a multi-camera sitcom. If you have a scene that you really want to be kind of you know old tiny back and forth, and they're and it's funny. You don't get to do that, you know. Or if you really want to take a long, long time with something, and you're sitting in front of people that start to get antsy, you can't not feel that as a performer and have it affect your timing. So I think that, you know, uh, it's just like I say, it's just my preference. This, this is the Fall of Chuck, written by Andy Richter and Eric Zicklin. Act one. We're on a television screen. We're watching a gossip report on a New York One type cable news channel. A woman sits in front of a graphic reading New York News Gossip File. I'm Yolanda Stein with the New York News Gossip File. Last night at the Mayor Fernandez's inaugural ball. We cut to the interior of a ballroom dais. We see video footage of Mayor Fernandez on the dais, surrounded by supporters, arms raised victoriously. Charles Chuck Lebrand, the notorious Upper East Side Society playboy, gave the mayor a greeting he won't soon forget. We cut to a series of photos, a headshot of a smiling Chuck, the imposing facade of the LeGrand Holdings Building, a photograph of Llewellyn LeGrand, Chuck's regal great-uncle. Chuck is one of the lucky heirs to the multi-billion dollar LeGrand Holdings family fortune, which is overseen by noted financier and philanthropist Llewellyn LeGrand. A paparazzi photo of Chuck sitting at a nightclub table between Paris Hilton and Mick Jagger, a magnum of crystal in front of him. Chuck is such a fixture of Manhattan's social city that he's pretty much made a career out of showing up to the right parties with the right people. We cut to a curbside red carpet, video footage of Chuck grinning hugely and accompanied by a hottie as he exits a stretch limo at some type of red carpet event. He waves to the crowd as cameras flash. The camera starts to pan with him as he starts down the red carpet, but it pans too quickly and loses him out of the frame. The camera Hands back to find Chuck face down, spread eagle on the carpet, the gaze hottie just standing there. We cut to a ballroom receiving line. We see video footage of the beaming mayor passing down a receiving line, shaking hands. But last night was no party for the newly re-elected mayor. There's video footage of a woozy tuxedo Chuck waiting in the line. 
few handshakes away from the mayor. Who, after being greeted by a possibly over-served Legrand, found himself dressed in Armani and Linguini. <laughs> the shot looks like he's going to heave and puts his hand over his mouth. The mayor reaches forward to shake Chuck's hand, but when Chuck reciprocates, he really begins to hurl. He lurches forward toward the mayor a la Jack Ruby. The video freezes on the mayor's perfectly Lee Harvey Oswald-like agonized reaction. We cut to another angle of news footage just post-hurl, and we can hear the live audio of the mayor. Oh. My. God. Sorry. My fault. Sorry. So sorry. And we cut to scene B, the Legrand Holdings Office. The end of Yolanda Stein's gossip report plays on a small portable TV tucked under the counter of the reception desk. A security guard is watching the TV. Chuck enters dressed splendidly and reaches past the guard. Uh, hold on a minute, uh, you're gonna have to... Uh, uh, no, I don't. The guard begins to speak again, but stops short, looks at the TV and then back at Chuck, who is many strides away. The guard puts it together and shrugs it off. We're in the LeGrand Holdings, we're in Forrest's outer office. Various personnel do double takes upon seeing Chuck walk by. Some nudge each other and whisper, Chuck is oblivious. He passes an assistant who grabs her phone, presses one button, and anxiously says, He's here. We reset to the inner office. Chuck walks straight into his cousin Forrest's corner office. What could possibly be so important that he would make me trudge all the way down here at such an ungodly hour? Forrest, Chuck's 30-ish, handsome, unassuming, Aaron Eckhardy cousin, <laughs> is at his desk eating a takeout sushi lunch. It's after one o'clock in the afternoon, Chuck. Lunchtime. Can I get you anything? Chuck looks at Forrest's lunch. He keeps looking at it until Forrest feels awkward. Sushi? Nah, I better not. For some reason, I got a bit of an icky stomach this morning. Speaking of which, have you seen the papers? Forrest hands him a copy of the New York Post. On the front page is a photo of Chuck throwing up on the mayor. The headline reads, Up Chuck, rich party boy, pukes on mayor. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Oh, it's worse than pretty bad. Good lord, I look as big as a house. And my hair looks like some kind of cheap wig. Now, I'm not talking about how you look, I'm talking about the fact that you threw up on the mayor. Chuck looks at the paper again, this time grasping what the front page is saying. I did? Oh, I guess I did. Now, if you don't mind, could you please tell me what you wanted to see me about? Horace sighs. While he cares about Chuck very much, this is his usual reaction to his cousin. One party's aspiration, two parts exhaustion. Forrest gestures to the paper. This, Chuck, this is what we need to talk about. This latest episode of you childishly misbehaving in public. Okay, okay, stop. Please, Forrest, I... I feel really bad for what I did. I've been totally beating myself up over it all morning. But you didn't even know that you'd done anything until ten seconds ago. Well, don't snap at me. I'm just telling you what you want to hear. Look, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being what you want me to be. I'm so sorry that I'm trying to make you happy. Chuck. What? This is serious. You've really done it this time. The old man is really pissed off, and he told me to inform you. Oh, here we go. You're cut off, Chuck. Ooh. No, no, I mean it. It's one thing to have some item buried in the gossip page about you diving off the nightclub balcony. Look, it wasn't a balcony, it was a go-go cage, and it was a really big cage to absorb the fall. Right, but it's another thing altogether to end up on the front page, spewing on the mayor. The old man notices that sort of thing. 
Now, of course, we're not going to leave you with nothing. We'll be allowed to keep the townhouse uptown and a very modest living allowance. However, there will be no credit cards, no house accounts. You'll be living on a cash basis, all right? And, and after a certain amount of time, if you manage to turn your life around, then the old man might see fit to reinstate your full stipend. Certain amount of time? Turn your life around? It's all so vague. I, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do with any of that. How about getting a job? How about working for charity? Doing something for someone else besides yourself? How about making your life mean something? You've always hated me. You're so jealous. Chuck, Chuck! I do not hate you. You're my cousin and I love you. But man, you've been warned too many times. Chuck, you're a grown man. Maybe it's time you started acting like one. Chuck is silent for a moment, looking down at his hands. He looks up, re-notices Horace Sushi, and like a child distracted by a toy, brightens a little. You know, maybe I will have some lunch. He grabs Forrest's lunch and dig digs in. Forrest wonders if Chuck has heard anything he says. You're going to have a new lifestyle, and it's going to take some getting used to, so I'm assigning you somebody from my staff to help out. He's a trained accountant who's going to assist you with your budget, okay? Chuck has now opened the paper and is paging through it while he eats. Okay. Forrest gets up to leave, but pauses at the door and turns back to Chuck. I know this sucks, but who knows? Maybe it'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. Chuck continues reading the paper and eating. Okay. Forrest exits, and we're in Forrest's outer office. He calls to a dork working at a cubicle about 20 feet away. Excuse me, Mortensen? The dork just keeps working at his computer. Mortensen! It's like the guy can't hear him or something. Mortensen! Yes, Mr. Legrand? Forrest turns to see pretty Midwestern Irene Mortensen standing up at her desk a few cubicles away. She's holding a spoon in a takeout container of soup and has a paper napkin tucked bit-like into the front of her blouse. Forrest starts to realize what he's done. Mortensen. Yes, I'm Mortensen. He's Morton. Todd Martin. The door finally looks up in a hump kind of way. Yeah, no, no, I know, of course. I just, hey, hey Todd, what's up? Todd waves. Forrest is stuck. An awkward moment passes. People in other cubicles are watching. So, do you want Todd, or...? No, 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 I said Mortensen, I meant Mortensen. He gestures for Irene to approach. Uh, can you come here, please? I've got an assignment for you. Forrest goes back into his office. Irene puts down her soup and follows. Just before entering, though, she looks down and notices she still has her napkin bit in her blouse. She tears it off and says to herself, Smooth move, Irene. We're <laughs> in... Scene C in a taxi. Chuck and Irene sit in the back seat. Chuck stares out the window while Irene acquaints herself with his files. Chuck squirms to get comfortable. Oh, there's no leg room in here. He stretches his legs completely onto Irene's side, forcing her legs to be cramped against the door. I wouldn't have to do this if Forrest hadn't taken away my car and driver. Which is fine. No big deal. I've ridden in taxis before. Twice! Wait. No, no. One of those might have been an ambulance. So... How long have you worked for my backstabbing turd of a cousin? I've been with the company about six months now. Although that's not long enough to make an impression, I guess. He doesn't even know my name. Who doesn't? Nobody. Which is what I am, apparently. That's why I get all the crap work. Oh, I am so sorry. Uh, yes. Uh, it's sim uh, yes, it is simply one of the great moral outrages of our time, what's been done to me. But you've no reason to apologize. They didn't... You didn't take away my money. No, I meant sorry because of what I said. You didn't catch that I just called you crap work to your face. <laughs> You'll find that I'm not really a listener. <laughs> oh, awesome. She turns back to her, the files. Ow! 
Okay, you spend a lot of money. Do I? Well, in the last quarter, you spent more on moisturizers, lotions, and balms than I spent on my car. So? So, basically, over a period of three months, you smeared a Mazda on your face. <laughs> What's a Mazda? <laughs> Chuck approaches with Irene only to find his staff filing out of the front door of his townhouse. What's going on? We've been fired, Mr. Lebrand. The whole staff. Hang on. Apparently I was drinking last night, Chef, so whatever I said to you then was purely... No, this is from Forrest. Here are the severance checks. She addresses the staff. Uh, Mr. Legrand, uh, that is Forrest Legrand, wants you all to know that he will provide any assistance, any assistance he can in your search for new employment. What? That won't be necessary. This ridiculousness will blow over soon enough. Then when everything returns to normal, you can resume your jobs. Chuck shakes each person's hand as he gives them their envelope. They cross away once they've been paid. Here you are, Chef. Mariamo, cheers. A shapely maid is next. Chuck lays a long, open-mouthed kiss on her lips. She responds in kind. He hands her an envelope. And to you as well. She shakes her head sadly and crosses away. We reset to the entry. Chuck and Irene enter. Irene is overwhelmed by the grandeur of Chuck's home. Oh my god, you live in a soap opera set. Susan Grimes, the 50-year-old head housekeeper, approaches. Hello, Grimesy. He turns around to let her remove his coat. She kicks him in the ass. Hey! Oh, look, you've ruined everything. That was bone you hit. Huh. Irene hands Susan the last envelope. Uh, this must be yours. And you are? Irene Mortensen, I'll be handling Mr. LeGrand's finances now. I'm very sorry about your job. <coughs> I'm very sorry about yours. Susan Grimes, head housekeeper. Or at least that was. She looks like she might kick Chuck again, but he quickly steps away. Ha <laughs> Only to back into a sharp corner table. Ow! <laughs> anyway. Even though I won't be working here, I will be living here. Forrest agreed it was best. I've devoted too much time to this house to leave it to a complete new complete. You'd only lose it in a card game or give it away to some Lithuanian football. God, you are obsessed with her. <laughs> Look, relax, Grimesy. Everything's under control. He pours a large drink. Why, why do you think Forrest gave me... Numbers here. She's gonna fix it all. Oh, well, that's not quite what I was here to do. I said you're gonna fix it. You're the only one in this room getting paid, so get to work. Figure out how to get my money back. Well, I'm just supposed to... Fix it! Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to take a nap. He exits with his giant drink. Yeah, he doesn't really get it, does he? Oh, dear, not getting it is precisely what Charles LeGrand does best. Isn't there... Anything you can do to sway Forrest. Ugh, are you kidding? He literally doesn't know my name. I grind away at memo after memo, outlining new ventures the company should exploit. And where does it get me? Holding the royal hair of the crown prince of puke. I know he's an absolute idiot, but he is a product of his environment. His parents barely raised him. They were so immersed in their work as alcoholics. <laughs> the sad fact is, money's all he got. There's a knock at the door, and Susan goes to answer it. Wealth can do strange things to people, dear. In Chuck's case, I'm afraid it has made him an idiot. She opens the door to a team of men in movers' outfits. Hello, may I help you? We're here for the furniture. I'm sorry, excuse me? 
Irene takes the order slip and checks it against some info in her files. Okay, start anywhere. It's all gone. The movers fan out. Some exit into other rooms. Technically, the furnishings are the property of the LeGrand Family Trust. They want to take possession to prevent Chuck from selling anything for spending money. Not the furniture, too! Ooh, I will have his skin! As she approaches the door, two movers enter, carrying a sofa. Chuck is laid across it with his drink. <laughs> Fix it! As he's carried out the front door, we fade out into Act 1. Act 2, we're in Chuck's townhouse the next morning. Chuck is sitting on a folding chair in a robe and slippers. A voice dramatically intones, Meet Chuck LeGrand, one of the lucky heirs to the multi-billion dollar LeGrand family fortune. As we push in on Chuck, But he doesn't feel so lucky today. Cut off from his money, his staff, and even his furniture. We pan to Chuck's 62-year-old friend Toby standing in the doorway. His Hi. voice. Hi, society's poor little rich boy. He's just poor now. Toby, despite his age, has an adolescent energy and charm. Think of a 17-year-old in Mel Torme's body. How <laughs> bite me, Toby. Hmm, too risky. You might sue me for my millions because you, my friend, are broke. Broke, broke, broke. I'm not broke. Toby hands Chuck today's New York Post, whose headline screams, Broke, above a picture of Chuck. <laughs> See, now there, my hair looks good. The doorbell rings, neither man moves. It rings again. Grimesy! Susan enters carrying a dusty lamp with a broken shade. I don't work here anymore, remember? Answer your own door, little Lord Fatloy. <laughs> she sets the lamp down and exits back where she entered. Chuck crosses and opens the door. It's Irene. Good morning! For you, maybe, living the sweet life on Easy Street. Yeah, in my $19 shoes. Listen, about what you said yesterday, I mean, what you shrieked, I gave it some thought and I came up with ways, some ways to get your money back. She sees Toby. Oh, hello. Bon matin, mademoiselle. <laughs> what a refreshing breath of spring you are. <laughs> he kisses her hand. Oh, well, well, thank you. And you have my favorite kind of hips. <laughs> This is Irene, the accountant that Forrest sicked on me. This is my best friend, Toby. Your best friend? That sounds so eighth grade girls. Like, you guys might start suddenly braiding each other's hair. And aren't you two a little mismatched age-wise? No, you mean. You and Chuck, you're like 30 years apart? Toby's blank-faced. He looks to Chuck for help. I don't understand half of what she says either. You have to remember, my sweet, that when Chuck and I first met, we were both much younger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, as I was saying, here are a few proposals for how you might regain your share of the trust. She hands him a three-ring binder. Oh, and this is for you two. She hands him an envelope with cash in it. Susan enters again, this time struggling with a dusty table. Mrs. Mortensen, hello. Oh, please, it's Irene. Can I help you with that? Irene crosses to help Susan. Chuck and Toby don't move. Yep, re relax, ladies, we got it. It's fine, Irene. You can't expect to get any work out of the incompetent or the elderly. Ooh, Granny's got fangs. <laughs> Romeo's got dentures. Found a stash of old furniture down in the basement. It's pretty beaten up, but at least it's something. One of the table legs is short, causing a wobble. I ought to find something to shove under there. 
Chuck, who's opened his envelope and is annoyed by its contents, puts Irene's binder under the leg, leveling it. Excuse me? And takes the binder back. Excuse me? I can't live on Miss Cash. I just shouldn't I shouldn't be left penniless just because I threw up one time. On the mayor and his blind wife. Well now that's beside the point. Chuck's thrown up on people before. Some very important people. <laughs> now all of a sudden that's a problem. <laughs> Thank you. And what if I'm sick? What kind of family turns its back on their own great-grand-nephew's son when he has a serious medical condition? You don't have a medical condition. But I know a doctor who'll say you do if you pay in cash. What? Wait a minute. We're not finished. I may just be a lowly accountant, but these ideas deserve some respect, and I deserve an apology. You asked me to help you. You're right, Harry. This is also new and scary to me. I'm scared. Still, there's no excuse for disrespecting one of the few people who's actually on my on my side. Please forgive me. Okay, I forgive you. Chuck, okay. She, he, Chuck immediately herds a sputtering Irene towards the door. Excellent. Now why don't you and your ideas meet me later at the club? I've got a doctor's appointment. He shuts the door behind her and crosses off to get dressed. Through the glass in the door, we see Irene clearly mouthing the word asshole. We cut to the doctor's office. This is a shabby place with water-stained walls and dust bunnies in every corner. Chuck sits on the worn-out examination table wearing a paper gown over his blazer and slacks. <laughs> Toby reads a copy of Seventeen magazine and shows Chuck a page. Look, this blonde one shows up at every single perfume launch. Dr. Hadjokopania enters. He is sloppily dressed and speaks terrible English. The doctor immediately begins to write a prescription. Nice to see you, doctor. How is everything? I also saw a game. Go sports. He hands Toby a prescription. <laughs> Thank you for me. <laughs> Actually, I want you to examine my friend here, Chuck. This is Dr. Hodrick Opinion. Nice to meet you. Ah, very yes. My patient. He starts writing another prescription. Oh, that's right. Now, all I need from you is a short letter explaining my delicate stomach condition. The doctor finishes writing and hands Chuck the paper. Tubby, it's another prescription. This isn't working. Oh, yes, it is. Now, Dr. Hodge, <laughs> what we need is a letter. And we cut to the Fellowship Alliance Club that afternoon. It's an old money private club. Chuck and Toby enter. Toby, you're brilliant. This note is going to solve all my problems. Yes, and these... He shakes his bottle of pills. ...are going to solve all of mine. <laughs> Even though I don't really have any, per se. They march across the lounge area toward the dining room. They're stopped by an impeccable maitre d'. Good afternoon, Mr. Lula. You got that right, Oscar. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, however, to inform you that your membership here has been placed under probation. Excuse me, on the personal orders of Mr. Llewellyn Durant. Your handle on the old man in forest having lunch. Your privileges, therefore, are limited to the junior lounge area only. Until further notice, I'm afraid the Founder's Room will be off limits. Chuck looks longingly into the bustling Founder's Room. He looks behind him into the junior lounge. It's empty. Don't break, Chuck. See you later. <laughs> Toby heads into the Founder's Room. Wait a minute. Chuck drags the table to the borderline between the two rooms and pulls over two chairs. Now, see, we can still sit at the same table. Uh, I guess that doesn't taint me too much. 
They sit. A waiter approaches and wordlessly sets down two cocktails and exits. They're regulars. Toby downs one of his pills. Ah, better take this before my stomach. It's all coated with food. <laughs> what are those, anyway? Oh, you know, part muscle relaxant, part painkiller, and part let's all do the electric slide. <laughs> the maitre d' shows Irene to Chuck and Toby's table. Hello, boys. Now, Chuck, are you ready to listen to my ideas on how to get you back to living like the pig king of Slopville? Or do I have to worry that you'll see something shiny and just wander off? Oh, look, I'm sorry about the brush off back at the house, but Toby and I have it all under control. Oh, yeah? So I am your boy. Your ideas, clever as I truly are, won't be necessary. Now, come. Well, a little thing called a doctor's note. A doctor's note? Wow. Well, now that you have cracked this super caper, maybe you can do the government a favor and track down Bin Laden. You guys can probably nail him in the hall pass. Forrest appears at their table. Well, it's been a surprise to see you here. Oh, um... No, 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 I think it's great. I always like to see my staff take an active approach to their clients. Chuck? Toby? Forrest? <laughs> Sorry about the junior lounge thing, Chuck, but the old man insisted. Well, none of that is going to matter after you read this. Chuck hands far as the doctor's note. To whom is concerning Chuck? Chuck's row a problem is medical disease. Very bad and chronic. Throw up not his fault. Signed, doctor. <laughs> then something illegible with a smiley face on top. Yeah, that, that's pretty weak, Chuck. Well, sure, when you read it out loud like that. But if you hold it at arm's length and you scan it real fa fast with your eyes all squinty... Yeah, fine, I'll, I'll tell the old man exactly how to read it. In, in fact, why don't I do that right now? No, no, Forrest, wait. The mayor he clears his throat loudly. Chuck and Forrest both stop. Chuck realizes that he has crossed into the founder's room. Everyone turns and, st and stares at him, including the old man. Chuck is embarrassed. He takes two steps backward, returning to the junior lounge. Forrest joins him. Fine. I'll just think of something else. Chuck, listen to me. You're not going to scam your way back in. You have got to earn this. What do you mean when you say earn this? Please tell me what I should do. Help me. Okay. Tomorrow night is the Courtney board meeting. And you know that as a LeGrand, you're a board member. You should show up there tomorrow night. The old man will see you taking an interest in family business. It's a start. Board meeting? What would I do? Nothing. Oh, please, God, do nothing. Just <laughs> sit there and listen. Just by being there, you're showing everybody that you're turning over a new leaf. Mm, show up and do nothing? That doesn't sound very sexy. Chuck, slow and steady is what's going to win this race. Be patient. I'm rooting for you, Forrest pats Chuck on the shoulder and turns to Irene. Take care of him, Morton. I'll see you back at the office. He exits. Chuck sits back down defeated. Irene is fuming. Morton's son. It's Morton's son. Oh, a board meeting? Oh, Chuck, there's nothing on earth more boring. Oh, my father treated me to something like that once when I was a teenager. It was the first and last time I thought about my own death. <laughs> Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, right. Slow and steady gets you a cubicle outside the men's room door to spend 12 hours a day in, after which you get to go home to an apartment that's even smaller than your own cubicle and smells worse. I have two problems with what you're saying. Number one, I don't understand it. And number two, it has nothing to do with me. 
Oh, yes, it does. Slow and steady is for sex. You're going to go into that meeting and wow them. You're going to blow their freaking minds. I am? I am. How? Okay, I have ideas. Ways to make LeGrand Holdings a lot of money. I've been writing reports, trying to get your cousin to listen, but he's been totally stonewalling me. So, we're going to cut out the little man. You're going to present my ideas directly to the board. They'll have no choice but to love them. You'll be a hero, and then you will get your money back. I like that last part. Let's do it. Great. You're not going to regret this, Jeff. I've got to get back to the office and prepare. I'll call you. Hold on. What do you get out of this? You know, when they're carrying you around on their shoulders, mention my name. All right. You've got yourself a deal. Irene smiles and exits. You think this will work? Well, over. Halfway through her rant, I tuned out and tried to amuse myself by guessing what color panties she was wearing. <laughs> Toby, please, this is important. What I do with that meeting could completely decide my future. Besides, I mean, come on, what? Baby blue, maybe. <laughs> Look, Chuck, take a tip from friend. Whenever I have to deal with a difficult situation, there's something I've found that really helps. What's that? He holds up one of the bottles of pills. Please! <laughs> and we cut to the hotel ballroom. We open on a banner sporting the Grand Holdings logo. White maps see we're in a big, swanky dining room. It's cocktail time. Well-dressed people mill about making small talk and snacking on hors d'oeuvres. Angle on a nervous Chuck and an excited Irene entering together. Chuck makes a beeline for a tray of glasses of white wine. Chuck grabs two glasses. Irene holds out her hand in anticipation of Chuck giving her one of the glasses. Thanks! Chuck chugs one of the glasses. I don't think I can do this. He chugs the other glass. Irene takes the empties out of his hand and puts them on a passing tray. Alright, take it easy. We've gone over it a hundred times, and I've made it very easy for you. All you've got to do is read what's on the index cards. She pats his jacket, indicating where the cards are. Chuck grabs two more glasses of wine, giving one to Irene. This place is packed with heavy hitters. It's like Fortune Magazine come to life. It's exciting. Keep it in your pants, Irene. I know most of these people, and believe me, they're not so exciting when they're throwing you out of their daughter's confirmation party. <laughs> Chuck nervously reaches into his pocket, gets a pill out of the bottle, and pops it in his mouth. Oh, can I have one of those? Sure. Chuck puts a pill in her hand. She looks at it. Wait, I thought this was a breath mint. What is this? A pill? Yeah, I see that. What kind of pill? I don't know, but every time someone offers you a pill, you have to know exactly what it is before you take it. Yes. Look, wait a minute. I know what this is. Back in college, two of these made me take off my top at Lollapalooza. <gasps> Get rid of it. Chuck takes the pill from her and throws it in his mouth. Not like that. He washes it down with a gulp of wine. What are you doing taking pills when you're drinking? I'm not drinking. This is wine. <laughs> Forrest approaches. Well, you two are becoming a regular couple. Well, please, she's just here for the bar graphs. Uh, well, whatever the reason is, I'm glad to see you both here. I took a look at those proposals you've been submitting, Irene. There's some very intriguing stuff there. Now, I'm sorry it took me so long to get to them, but the machinery at this company is very old. It moves very slowly. But next week, you and I will have a meeting. We'll kick them around. Forrest leans in close to her, puts his hand on her shoulder, and speaks softly. Hey, I, I really do appreciate all you're doing for my guests. Thanks, sir. Irene melts and dreamily watches as Forrest crosses the room and steps up to the dais. Excuse me, everybody, but if you'll take your seats, we can get this meeting underway. Chuck and Irene cross to their seats. The rest of the style is spoken sodo as Forrest gives his presentation. Give me back those cards. Why? The 
ran this off and made a mistake. You're not going to address the board. You're just going to sit there and listen like Forrest said. We're denying this. What just happened? I'm sorry I got you all riled up, Chuck, but we can't do this. Wait a minute. One kind word from... Oh, stop it. Trust me, you're not his type. Although you are dull enough. That is not why I'm calling this off. What is his type, though? I think you had to describe it. <laughs> Look, you snip around my cousin on your own time. What about my money? What about cutting out the middleman? What about slow and steadiest for saps? What about my money? Chuck has drawn stares from people. Someone shushes him. We angle on the old man who eyes Chuck. Chuck wilts. As we hear the meeting continue, we see a defeated Chuck surreptitiously reach into his pocket to pop another pill. We dissolve to the ballroom later. Forrest is at the dais. The decision to utilize profits to upgrade the plant's facilities while lowering earnings in the short term has yielded. We track down a row of people listening to the presentation, all engrossed. We get to Irene, also engrossed. We track down a little more and see Chuck, who is completely messed up, staring into space, glassy-eyed and smiling. He takes a big drink of wine and leans over to whisper to Irene. Give me back the cards. What? Give me the cards. Oh, Chuck. I can do this. Give them to me. Maybe I would let Chuck make a presentation to the board. But you, the ghost of Foster Brooks, no way. <laughs> the plan's given a benefit to return on the company's investment. Well, that brings me to the end of my presentation, so let's open up the floor. Any new business? Fine. I'll do it without you. He lurches up to his feet. Irene tries to grab his arm, but he shakes her off. Yeah! Over here, Forrest. I've got something for you. Forrest is dumbstruck with apprehension. He glances over to the old man, who regards Chuck, and nods his head at Forrest. The, uh, chair recognizes Chuck LeGrand. Chuck rubs his hands together, wild-eyed and swaggering. <laughs> he got it all wrong. You stiffs want to make some real money? Well, I am here to tell you how. It had something to do with Bermuda. Oh, wasn't there something in there about the taxes in Bermuda? Oh, have you ever had that black rum that they make there? It's awful. It's really good in soup, though. <laughs> the old man turns to Irene. Young lady, may I acquire your connection with my grandnephew? Yeah, she's one of mine, Uncle Lou. Irene Mortensen, I assigned her in Chuck. I see. Do you think you could enlighten me as to the motivation behind the other Chuck's outburst? Because his mere presence here tonight is very <laughs> uncharacteristic. Yeah, I, I told Chuck to come tonight. Uh, that better speak. Irene stands. It's my fault, sir. Chuck was very eager to demonstrate his willingness to benefit his family's firm, so I gave him some proposals. But I'm afraid I got him in over his head, and his nerves got the best of him, so if there's any blame, it falls on me. Blame? She didn't do anything wrong, besides trying to help me when my family hung me out to dry. Chuck, I think... No, Forrest, I'm going to speak. I'm a member of this board, and I will be heard. I would like to appeal to the board. I appeal to their sense of decency. We're all just people. Very rich people. And what did I do besides act like what I am? I mean, would you punish a fish for swimming and take away all his fish money? You all ought to understand the burden of my legacy. Our legacy. 
our ancestors sweated and slaved and stole and murdered so we could live the lives we lead. We should honor their work by not doing any work ourselves. Their dream was to make so much money that their children and their children's children could lead the most ridiculous lives they possibly could. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen of the board, that I am the fulfillment of that dream. <laughs> so can I please have my money back now? Go home, Chuck. Chuck immediately turns on his heel and motors out of there. Oh, yo. Chuck exits the dining room, and off camera we hear the sound of a huge tray of dishes crashing. He sticks his head back in the door. That wasn't me! He exits. Forrest makes eye contact with Irene and tilts his head in a go-with-him kind of way. She follows Chuck out. As the meeting continues, <coughs> Chuck's foyer. Chuck enters with Irene close behind. Chuck grabs a nearby cognac bottle. Yeah, is that really such a good idea? Oh, it's pure genius. Chuck takes a big drink right out of the <coughs> bottle and starts up the big spiral stairs, teetering. Susan enters and stands at the bottom of the stairs. Hello. Oh, great. Could you help him upstairs, please? No. Irene isn't thrilled, but someone has to keep Chuck from falling, so she follows him a step or two behind. Following, Chuck and Irene will climb three flights of stairs while Susan relaxes below. Meeting go well. Chuck lets out something to sound like a loud growl. Yeah, not so good. Baby Chucky got drunk and took a bunch of pills and filled his diaper in front of everybody. You? No, I mean, not literally. Not literally. And I think I just lost my job. I didn't get that impression. I was just on the phone with Forrest when you came in. He wanted to make sure you two made it home okay, and he said to tell you that he would see you on Monday. Huh. She turns to Chuck. Now see? Things aren't so bad after all. Are you mad? Things couldn't be worse. My life is destroyed. I see it now. It's all over. Your life is not over. Sure, maybe a chapter of it is. So you start a new one. You know, there's worse things than losing your money. <clears throat> Wash your mouth out. Chuck, look, I've been around you enough to see that while you're not exactly what you'd call smart, you're not stupid either. You'll figure this out. We'll figure this out. I don't want to figure it out. I want my life back. I want my trips and my parties and my cars and my girls. I mean, you don't understand because you haven't experienced the smorgasbord of excess that was my day-to-day -day existence. Fate doesn't give you that kind of life unless you deserve it. I mean, I don't mean to say that I'm better than other people, but I'm better than other people! All right, that's enough. I'm real sorry that the world is no longer a big mountain of sweet bush for you to shove in your pie hole, but you are just going to have to get over your self-pity and face it. Face what? They reach the top of the stairs and stand facing each other. Now, you're just like everybody else. The weight of her words knocks Chuck back a step, like he had the wind knocked out of him. He hands Irene the cognac bottle. Would you be in here and hold this for me? I have to fall down the stairs now. <laughs> Chuck then slowly tumbles head over heels down all Irene as he approaches the bottom, Susan crosses to the front door and opens it. This allows Chuck to awkwardly roll right out the front door, down the front steps, coming to a groaning stop on the sidewalk. And we cut to, across the street, it's Yolanda Stein again, this time doing an on-location spot. Review this scene through her news camera. 
I'm standing outside the home of socialite Chuck Legrand, who's best known for throwing up on the mayor. We can see in the background of the news shot that Chuck is slowly crawling and rising and stumbling across the street toward Yolanda. Poor Chuck has been cut off from the family bankroll as punishment for his regurgitative shenanigans. And now the whole city is wondering how he'll cope with... Chuck charges at her. They know! They all already know! Yolanda shrieks, Chuck bats at the news camera like an angry bear, and we cut to black, end of show.